it's a bank holiday weekend, isn't it? And uh, we might not think that when we see the sun shining, but it is. As a child, I remember uh, an advert on the telly for a shop in Carlisle. Carlisle's about 20 miles away from where I grew up. And uh, it was declaring that they were having a bank holiday event. And it sounded exciting. You know? What made it an event? What, what could it possibly be? And we visited the city that holiday Monday, uh, as we often did at weekends on a Saturday normally. And we went into the department store that had been in the ad. And I wondered what sort of special event would there be. Would there be jugglers? Would there be fire breathers? Would there be a band playing? Would there be a special stage? Would there be popcorn like at the cinema? But no, their event just meant that they had a sale on. A few things were a little bit cheaper. And I felt missold. Things are not what we think they might be all the time, are they? Maybe you've been taken in by a bit of false advertising or certain words that's been there. And certainly we will all have seen some sort of optical illusion at some point. So where you, you think something is real, but it's not. Or it appears one way, but it can appear to be another, depending on your experience. Today, we might have had the auditory equivalent of an optical illusion. How many of us have heard the reading and thought Marion was simply bringing the Lucan version of the parable of the talent? You know, a very familiar parable to us. The master goes away, he gives money to the servants first. There's different financial returns. But actually, this is not the same story. It's fair to say that there are similarities between today's reading and that other gospel passage in Matthew. But then, as pointed out on Only Connect the other night, humans share 41% of the DNA of a banana. There are differences, although there are similarities. You know, or maybe in the case of banana, not so much. The number of servants is actually different. Although we hear about three servants and what they had got, there was actually ten. Maybe that slipped us by. They're given different amounts to begin with. Well, or rather, all ten servants are given the same amount to look after. 
not depending on what they might do with it. And the rewards are different at the end. What happens to the third servant is different too. That third servant that we hear of. Most noticeable, however, is the account of what's going on with the master. He departs. And we hear why he goes away. He's going to be made king. But the crowd don't want him to be king. This crowd is not in that other parable, is it? And yet on his return, he has been crowned. He is the king. What's more, although that other one is told in Holy Week, we are not quite into Holy Week yet. Our passage begins in Jericho on the evening when the tax collector Zacchaeus has repented and offered to pay back what he has cheated from those that he had taken. Someone who hadn't been a servant of God has just become one. And it's with that in mind, in that context, that Jesus tells this story. Jesus, who is about to head into the city of David, the place of kings. The passage is not about what we do with what we are entrusted with. Our gifts, our talents, our wealth. Important though that teaching is when it comes in Matthew 25. This is not about stewardship. This is a passage about Jesus the Christ. Who he is, how the world sees him, and how we relate with him. It's a very different parable. The emphasis is the kingship. Christ is the king. And that is not an elected position. It's not for a three or a four or a five-year term, which gets renewed on the basis of popularity. That's not how it works. This is for eternity. In the passage, the majority of people, the crowd, disown him. And that's true to life, isn't it? It's always been the case that the majority disown the king of all creation. It was the case for the first century crowd in Jerusalem who shout crucify. And it is true for the 21st century, materialistic, multicultural, multi-faith and no-faith population. Without understanding of him, without knowing his ways, 
the crowd don't want his rule over them. But like when the people say of their country's president or maybe prime minister, he or she isn't mine, meaning they don't like their policies or they don't, didn't vote for them. Whether the population recognize him as the Lord or not, he is the king of all the earth. And there is nothing that the crowd can do about it. There is nothing that people can do that would stop the king being the king. He reigns. And we remember he is king. But when we think of that, we have to remember the church is not a democracy. He's king. We in the United Reformed Church have a series of meetings and councils and committees and different ways of doing things. And we might take votes to agree what to do. But we need to remember that when we do that, we're not called to do what we like or think what would be the most popular or even to what is our personal or local church advantage. But we have to try and discern what it is our king would have us do. Whenever we are faced with a challenge in life, that is the basis of our decision-making. What would the king have us do? What is the Holy Spirit saying to the church? How is the Spirit directing us? There are challenges facing all churches. There are challenges facing us here. As we look to the future, there's challenges facing the denomination at this time. Uh, and, and nationally, the, the issue um, of light might be the follow-on from the COVID pandemic how we address things, how we cope with finances, how we might have deployment of ministry. In these and all matters, we need to be prayerful and seek to do what is right, even if at times there may be some sort of risk that things are not going to be how we like them to be. The servant with the single minor, didn't simply not exercise good stewardship, but he failed to discern the king's will. He failed to think about what the king would want. And his words show that he doesn't really know the king's ways, despite having been a servant for some time. The servant's inaction while the master was away doesn't really reflect what he says about the king, even. The reality of life is that the king expects the kingdom to grow. We know from our wider reading of Scripture that the king expects justice to be known, that the king expects the outcast 
to be welcomed, for God's righteousness to be experienced, and for the mercy and grace of the Heavenly Father to be in our ways. Why has the servant not used the mina, the wealth, for this purpose? Because he was scared of the outcome? Well, that's the excuse he gives. But instead, he should have acted boldly or wisely, certainly faithfully. I wonder how we live. We are the servants today. Each one of us has been entrusted with being the master's people. And we live in the time between his going away to receive his rightful place and his return when he will come back from the Father's side and everyone on earth will be able to see he is the king of all creation. And they will be able to experience his judgment. Do we live in a way that honors the king or have we misunderstood what he wants of us? It's likely that in some way, now and again, we will each have failed. None of us are perfect. And that might make us fearful of that day of return and how we might be judged. In the verse after what Marion read, one that I did not ask to be read, the crowd who rejected the king are ordered to be executed. That's how the parable ends. Sometimes the end of the story is not what we expect. There's not really something we can avoid. It's in there. It's in the scripture. But let us remember what he is like with the servant that only returned the one mina he was given. Yes, the mina is taken away, but in this parable, we hear nothing beyond that happening to him. There's no casting out to the place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. Despite his failing, he still lives. Christ in his return in kingship, is still full of compassion as he was in his earthly ministry. The king we praise, though we sometimes misunderstand him, will, when we have tried to be his, in his mercy and grace, still forgive, and he will still offer us a place at the heavenly banquet. There is a difference between that servant who didn't earn more minors and the crowd who had completely rejected the king. 
I don't know what event you have planned for this bank holiday weekend. Maybe it's time with family. Maybe it's a trip to the shops. Maybe it's nothing at all. But why not spend some time tomorrow praising our king for who he is and seeking in prayer to know his will for you and for the church because we are his servants today. Amen.